people who have ruled over the ages, but you know the greatest, the greatest, the most famous, the highest and greatest king is, is Jesus Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And if he is your king, then you have a lot to sing about, a lot to praise. And, and when Jesus returns, the whole world that has rejected Christ and maybe even scoffed at you for calling Jesus your king, they're going to think twice about their opinions, right? They're going to think again and hopefully see Jesus in all of his glory and give their hearts and souls to him as well. But that day's coming when, when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that, that Jesus has been given the name above every name. And so at the name of Jesus, uh, we worship, we exalt that name because that's what the Father has given us uh, in order to praise him. So let's go before him and thank him for these things. Father, we do thank you so much for your tremendous love, Lord God, and for sending us, Lord, uh, a Savior, sending us a King. And Lord, our, our King had come gentle and lowly. He had come in humility, Lord God, setting aside His glory, Lord, to take on the cross for our sins. And we are so grateful for that humility. We desire to model that humility, Lord God, because through that, people get saved. Through that example of Christ, where people see Jesus and come to love Jesus. But we also know that we serve a king that will come as the roaring lion of Judah. And we are excited, Lord Jesus, for that day. We love you. We exalt you. And it's in your name we worship and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
fill us up with the Spirit, with your word, with the knowledge of the truth. Have your way to
in, and we do thank you so much that you take away our sins, Lord, that it is possible to come, Lord, as sinners, come even tonight, Lord, and understand that our sins can be forgiven, can be washed and cleansed. We can have a fresh start in any moment, in every moment. We can have a fresh start with you because of the blood that cleanses us, Lord. Thank you for the amazing, redemptive work of Jesus upon the cross. Amen, amen. Why don't we uh, take a moment, greet some folks around us, maybe ask someone if they need prayer for anything.
All right. I don't hear it. Welcome. There we go. Glad to see you guys tonight out for a Bible study, digging in the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 9 tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. I see a hand over there. So much easier to see hands with the lights on than with them off. (laughs) Joshua chapter 9 tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can gather together, Lord, in this place, Lord, uh, knowing, Lord, that uh, it's your desire tonight to speak to our hearts. And so we want to have just open ears to receive all that you have for us tonight, Lord. We pray your blessing upon our service time, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that we have to meet in this place and the provision that you've given for us in this place. We pray your blessing upon our children in the in the children's ministries. They're learning from your tonight as well as we learn from your word tonight and so we thank you for that we just committed to you in jesus name we pray amen as he knelt at valley forge george washington was keenly aware that unless god intervened and aided his discouraged army all would be lost on may 15 1776 george washington general george washington ordered these words he says the continental congress having ordered Friday the 17th instant to be observed as a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God, that it would please Him to pardon all our manifold sins and transgressions and to prosper the arms of the United Colonies and finally establish the peace and the freedom of America upon a solid and lasting foundation. The General commands all officers and soldiers to pay strict obedience to the orders of the Continental Congress that by their unfeigned and pious observance of their religious duties, they may incline the Lord and give a victory to prosper our arms, General George Washington. Could you imagine a general in the army saying, all right, everybody in the army, this is the day I want you all to pray. Reach out to God, confess your sins, and bow before the Lord. It was uh, on November 8, 1783, at the conclusion of the Revolutionary War, Then Massachusetts Governor John Hancock issued, The citizens of these United States have every reason to praise and gratitude to the God of their salvation. I do appoint the 11th day of December, next the day recommended by the Congress to all the states, to be religiously observed as a day of thanksgiving and prayer, and that all the people may may then assemble to celebrate that he has been pleased to continue to us the light of the blessed gospel that we also offer up fervent supplications to cause pure religion and virtue to flourish and to fill the world with his glory. Amazing. James Madison, known as the chief architect of the Constitution, wrote many of the Federalist Papers. And if you were going to our Biblical Citizens class, you'd learn some of these things. But anyway, although I didn't learn this from that, but uh, convincing uh, uh, James Madison, known as the C- chief architect of the Constitution, wrote many of the Federalist Papers, convincing the states uh, to ratify the Constitution and introduce the First Amendment in the first session of Congress. During the War of 1812, President James Madison proclaimed a day of prayer. Uh, he said this, I do therefore recommend rendering the sovereign of the universe public homage, acknowledging the transgressions which might justly provoke his divine displeasure seeking his merciful forgiveness and with a reverence for the unerring precept of our holy religion to do to others as they would require that others should do to them. On July 23, 1813, Madison issued another day of prayer referring to religion, that gift of heaven for the good of man. 
And catch this. When uh, the British marched on Washington, D.C., citizens evacuated along with the president and Dolly Madison. The British burned the White House, Capitol, and public buildings on August 25, 1814. Suddenly, dark clouds rolled in, and a tornado touched down, sending debris flying, blowing off roofs and knocking down chimneys on the British troops. Two cannons were lifted off the ground and dropped yards away. A British historian wrote, more British soldiers were killed by the stroke of nature than from all the firearms the American troops had mustered. British forces then fled and rains extinguished the fires. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said that he was often driven to his knees because he had nowhere else to go. My point here is the most important thing that we can be doing right now when it comes to our nation is to be in prayer humbling ourselves, bowing down before our Lord, repenting of our sin. There seems to be so much uh, uh, deception and conspiracy theories going on, as well as just plain evil trying to take over our country. And it should be driving us to our knees in prayer. It's been said you can do other things than pray, but you should never do anything until you pray. And there's so much in God's Word that speaks of the importance of prayer, of our communing with our Heavenly Father. In fact, if you remember from last time together, as we looked at Israel's failure at Ai, it was a direct result from them not seeking the Lord to find out that there was a man named Achan who was deceiving the people by keeping uh, the heap of spoils from, the, from their attack, which caused a heap of trouble, <laughs> Joshua chapter 9 will tell us of how Joshua and the other leaders of Israel were deceived by a, a bunch of Gibeonites. We've been seeing that the book of Joshua is an example of living the victorious Christian life. And we see these examples here that if we apply them to our lives, we too can be living a victorious Christian life. And the story this evening serves as an illustration to us uh, really, of how subtle our enemy uh, works against us in our lives. We must be on alert to the attacks of the enemy because Satan will often describe himself, or rather disguise himself, as a, an angel of light in order to further his, his uh, you know, deadly plants. Remember First Peter 5, verse 8. Uh, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're told in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know what he's going to do. We know the attacks he's going to come against us. And Satan, if he can't overthrow our plans in one way, he's going to seek another way to overthrow our plans. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 10 through uh, 12, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, I've read that verse for many, many years. But man, lately it's really been coming alive today. Absolutely alive. Our battles are not here on this earth. Our battles are happening in the heavenly realm. And when God's hands are attached to faithful believers, then they are the ones that are truly victorious in this life. Same way, though, that the enemy, in the enemy's realm. The, when the enemy's strings are attached to people who work for him in the demonic realm, 
uh, they come against those in the body of Christ. So what is our greatest weapon in this spiritual warfare? It'll always be, it's never changed, it's all about prayer. Prayer brings about the victory. That's an important lesson for all of us to learn. Because what ends up happening when you're consistent and when you persevere in prayer, listen, the enemy is destroyed. The enemy is defeated. Not in man's strength, but in the power of God. Again, last time together, Joshua sought the Lord after Achan was dealt with. And then the Lord gave Joshua the plan to ambush Ai. Joshua obeyed the Lord, and there was great victory. Was the victory in the ambush? No. The ambush wasn't a big deal. Here's what the big deal was. And look at verse 18 of chapter 8. It says there, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. As Joshua stretched out forth his javelin in faith, he's saying, God, I believe that you can do this. I'm going to, by in obedience, do what you say, and I know that we're going to get this victory. It wasn't in the ambush. Joshua stayed faithful in prayer, and God then was faithful in the battle. But I think many times, though, in our own lives, the lessons we've learned one day is soon forgotten the next day, and we have to learn it all over again. And God allows us to go through that same trial one more time because we didn't remember it the first time around. And that's where we pick it up tonight in chapter 9. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in the, all the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Notice the word is out. Israel is in the land. They've had a couple amazing victories. They're, they're ready to claim all that God has given to them. And look what we see. The enemy's all there saying, okay, come on in. You can have what you want. You're welcome. No. They're all gathered together against them, ready to fight against them. Listen, when you give your life to the Lord and you say, I'm going to enter that promised land of all that God has for me in this life, the enemy of your soul isn't going to sit back and go, that's great. So glad for you. That's wonderful. I'm glad that'll happen. Welcome. No. Let me tell you, if you ever feel like the whole world is against you, it's because it is. <laughs> it is. An amazing thing is, is that we begin to discover that not only the whole world is against me, but my flesh is also against me. And on top of that, the devil's against me. But again, that's why we have the book of Joshua, to see how to have victory in the battles that we face against the world, against my flesh, and against the devil. Because I, I look at the events leading up to chapter 9. I see a parallel between the battles that they have faced, that they fought in the flesh, and the ones that we face daily in the spirit. In fact, these cities that they face so far all teach us a spiritual lesson. Number one was Jericho. Jericho is a, a type of the world. It was defeated, and we have promised a, a victory over the world in our walks with Jesus. First John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The second battle that happened was in Ai, a type of our flesh. 
Ai was also defeated, and we have the promise of victory in the flesh as we battle for the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind of myself, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And finally, number three in which we come to this evening, Gibeon is a type of the devil. The, 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 this is a battle that, that still must be fought. However, we have promised victory in this as well. To obtain it, we must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in his will every single day. That's the only way he can be defeated. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, eventually we know the devil's going to get exactly what he deserves. We studied that on, Re- on Sunday morning, Revelation chapter 20. He's cast into the lake of fire forever. However, we must still contend with him today. But again, fortunately, the Lord has not left us without a word in this matter. In this passage that recounts Israel's experience with the people of Gibeon, we do see really a portrait of the devil and his devices. And, and as we'll see, there's a danger in becoming friendly with the enemy. See, chapter 9 here, the Israelites are gaining land. They're possessing their possessions. The devil hates it. In fact, he hates it so much that, that, that he says, listen, we can't conquer Joshua and the Israelites by ourselves. Let's get a, an army together. Let's gather together. Let's link you know, ourselves, and then we'll come after them. Same thing we talked about on Sunday with the Battle of Armageddon. The last battle, you know, the Antichrist and, and, and uh, the, the armies from the east are going to be fighting each other. Jesus comes back and says, oh, no, 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 let's, let's go against Jesus. Listen, we need to recognize this as Christians. That is, as you and I get stronger in our walks with the Lord, the temptation and the battles are going to get more and more intense in our lives. Why? Well, because you become a greater threat to the kingdom of darkness than you were before. And unless the man or woman of God spends that time in prayer and in the study of God's word, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. We need God each and every day to give us that strength to make, it, make a difference in this ungodly world and to not be deceived by the enemy. Because, again, all the forces are coming against us. Now you may say, well, you know, Tom, I don't experience that much of a battle. I don't see that all the forces are against me. <laughs> well, listen, if you're not experiencing some testing and some persecution in your Christian faith, then you might want to start looking at your Christian faith. <laughs> I mean, if you can live comfortably in this ungodly world, then something is wrong with your Christianity. And this is scriptural. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let me tell you, it's hard to live godly in this ungodly world. I mean, the minute you decide to not listen to that co-worker's off-color joke with its underlying sexual innuendos, and you say, no, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Oh, you're just a stick in the mud. Oh, man, you're, 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 come on, it's funny, man, listen. It's a friend I knew years ago that he would say to me, oh, this is funny. I know it's not good, but it's funny. Or he would say, pardon my French. I said, no, I don't pardon your French, okay? Or say it in French because I don't understand French, but I'm not gonna, I am not don't want to hear it. Regardless if I offended him or not. And then eventually they'll start, well, I'm not going to talk to him because he doesn't listen to me. My point is that there's a time when you have to take a stand and just say no. Because again, the world's against you, the flesh is against you, and the devil's against you. But if God before you, who can be against you? The victory's already been won. He that is 
in you is, is uh, he that is in you is stronger than he that's in the world. So, so we've got nothing to fear. You know, even though, you know, many times we feel like that, that fish swimming upstream and you recognize all the tide and all the current is against you, but you also recognize that behind you is power, power that allows you to move upstream. I mean, you've got that 600-horsepower Mercury V12 outboard motor pushing you right up the stream. I think this is something Joshua is going to realize each battle he's facing. He's going, God is for me. God is for us. We can do this as he keeps moving forward. So look what happens next. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Let's stop there for a moment. Because we understand the context of this is important, something we can apply to our lives personally. These guys only lived maybe 20 miles away uh, from where they set up camp. They, they weren't from, from a distant country. This was a big scam because Joshua and his armies of Israel had this reputation. They became fearful. So they came up with a plan. See, they knew just enough about the word of God that they would try then to use that uh, uh, against Joshua and Israel. Same way today, folks, that the ungodly and unsaved, they know just enough of the word of God to, to attempt to use it against us as believers. Well, doesn't the Bible say you need to love one another? How can you tell me my lifestyle is wrong? I mean, love is love and God is love. They'll misquote verses, you know, judge not, you know, their favorite one, lest you be judged. Okay, fine. Okay, you're misquoting that one too, using it out of context just to justify your sin. And really, that's what these guys were doing in chapter 9 here, trying to use God's word against Joshua and the Israelites. And, and they remember, hey, didn't, doesn't it say something about back in Deuteronomy, the Israelite scripture, that, that, that chapter 20, that, that about making a treaty and making peace with those that come from a distant country? Yeah, let's do that. Let's use that against them. So they come up with this plan. We'll go ahead and we'll make it look like, like we've come from this distant country. We won't even have a name for it. We'll just call it a far country. We come from a far country. And then we'll show them our worn out shoes and we'll show them our, our clothes and, our, and they'll make a treaty with us. Well, how do the men of Israel react to this? Oh, look at verse 7. Well, then the men of Israel said to the Hevites, Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So the men of Israel going, wait a minute, how do we know what you're telling the truth? But they don't look to the men of Israel, they look to Joshua. They look to the leader because they know they got to get into his head. And they say to Joshua, oh, we're your servants. We wouldn't lie to you, Joshua. And Joshua says, well, I don't know if I can trust you or not. So they continue to respond in flattery to Joshua. Look at verse 9. So they said to him, we come from a very far country. Your servants have come because of the name of your Lord, your God. For we have heard of his fame and that all he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and 
Og, king of Bashan, and who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us, this bread of ours. We took hot for our provision from our house on the day we departed to come to you. But look now, it's dry and it's moldy. <laughs> and these wineskins, which we filled, were, were new, and see, they're torn. And these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Boy, they sold it, didn't they? Like a used car salesman selling a junker, you know. Surely the men of Israel wouldn't buy it. They should have known. Again, Joshua initially was a little skeptical. I mean, he questioned them about who they were and where they came from. And Joshua really is to be commended for his caution. But he just gave up way too soon. Look at verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provision, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You might want to underline that in your Bible. I mean, you you want to scream, stop, don't do this. Seek the Lord, pray. It's a trap. You know, it's like watching a a movie on TV and seeing the good guys about to get took, you know, about to get, 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 you know, scammed. But again, Notice the end of verse 14. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. Here's the thing. The Lord has totally prepared us for situations like this. He has given us a perfect book, the Bible, His Word. He's given us a a powerful Holy Spirit with the gift of discernment. And on top of that, He has given us the power of prayer. These things gives us a distinct advantage when it comes to fighting against the schemes of the enemy, of the devil. Using the Bible and the interleading of the Spirit of God, we can do what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. We can be sober. We can be vigilant. We can be alert. We can be awake to the enemy's devices. We can know when the world is trying to deceive us, when things sound too good to be true. We don't have to fall for everything that the enemy throws at us. We don't have to fall into his traps. He's a liar and the father of it, uh, Jesus said in John eight forty four. God has given us everything we need for life, for godliness, and, every, and, and, and a way every single time to resist temptation and to walk in victory over the devil if, if we seek the Lord first. But sadly, they don't do this. Joshua or Israel, they don't, they don't seek the Lord. And as a result, look at verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rules of the congregation swore to them. Now we know, as you mentioned already, that Satan characterizes himself as a roaring lion. You know, a roaring lion, you hear, you see, you recognize. It's scary. You respond. You react to it. But Satan also comes as a, as a sly, slithering, sneaky, scummy snake. <laughs> And we don't always recognize his handiwork many times because he slides creepily and cleverly and, and slithers away. And that's what's happening here in the Word of God. He's disguising himself as a, as a slithering sly snake and he comes on the scene using the Word of God against the people of God and begins to build this treaty with them. And what do the people do? I mean, you can picture this one delegation standing before the delegation and they say, well, wait a minute, how do we know where you came from? And they pull out the moldy bread and they pull out the, the, the wine skill. Look how old they are. And, and you know, Israel, well, well, we just, well, we just can't be too careful. All right, let's sign the treaty. <laughs> and all the time the Lord's going, no, no, talk to me. 
Let me give you direction. Let me give you illumination. Let me give you understanding. Don't rely on what you feel. Don't rely on what you see. But instead they're going, well, we feel pretty good about this treaty. We feel this is the right thing to do. And again, God is just going, would you just stop and talk to me for a moment? You'll find out this is not what you're supposed to do. And again, Israel is going, you know, we feel pretty good about this, so let's, so let's let the rest of Israel know what we decided to do. And here's what happens sometimes in our lives as believers. You know enough of the Word of God. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. And many times you step out in what you believe is faith, but oftentimes it really is just presumption. Uh, you presume. And therefore in that presumption, or in that assumption, you say, well, I know what the Lord wants, and so I'm just going to go for it. But God says, no, I still want you to talk to me about this. I still want you to come to me. I still want you to pray about this with me. I think of a story I heard years ago from a bivocational pastor who was just starting out. He was looking for a job. They just moved into this apartment, and, they, and they, they, he, he wanted a TV. He needed to have a TV to stay up on the news everything else. So they scrapped up just enough money for, for a down payment and and finances TV, and they brought it all home. And, and, and the very next morning, he got a phone call from a department store saying, we need someone to work on our TV department. We can get 50% off on TVs. <laughs> you go, oh, man. See, my point is, sometimes things may seem so clear with what the right thing to do, but even so, it never hurts to say, you know what, I'm just going to pray about this. I, I mean, this seems right, this seems good, but, but just give me a little bit of time to pray about this. I have never met anyone who ever regretted waiting on the Lord or regretted seeking confirmation from the Lord. Never. There's a great, great example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 5. You don't need to turn there, but maybe read it tonight before you go to bed just for fun. David goes out against the Philistines. He's had victory. He inquired of the Lord before the battle. The Lord says, go after the Philistines. The next day, however, the Philistines' army comes after David again. Now, this would just be the automatic assumption that David's going to just do the same thing he did before because that's what God told him to do the previous day. And, and so that or certainly God wants him to have the victory. But it says there that David inquired of the Lord. And when he did, God had a different plan for him. Lord says, yes, I do want you to fight against the Philistines, but there is a specific time that I want you to do, and I want you to wait until you hear the rustle of the leaves. When you hear the leaves rustle, that's the time I want you to pounce on them. See, God was still going to fulfill his purpose in wiping out the Philistines, but he had specific and new instructions for the way to which that was to be done. And certainly, God did allow Israel to make treaties, to make pacts with those people who are from far away foreign countries. But the problem was, God saw the deception, but they didn't. But they would have had they sought the Lord on that day when all this went down. They should have said, Lord, they should let us pray about it, let us seek the Lord, but they didn't. They were living off of past experiences, and Israel blew it because they didn't seek the Lord first. Now, as a result, look what happens next in verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them, then the children of Israel journeyed and came to the cities on the third day. Who heard? Well, the Israelites heard that these people were liars, that they've been scammed, that they've been deceived, they're phonies, that they're actually our neighbors. Now remember, it was the leaders that made the decision to believe their story. It was the shepherds that made the decision for the sheep, but now the sheep find out that we've been deceived. Let me say this. If the leaders aren't seeking God, 
then they can't lead the sheep. If you are placed in leadership within the church, you should always be seeking the Lord for the best way to serve his people. The best way to encourage, the best way to build up the people of God that, that he's entrusted you to lead. And the only way to do that is what through prayer, through the study of God's word. God expects his people to seek his will and wait on his uh, answer, especially for those in leadership. Well, now they're confronted with a mess, and now they have to face the consequences of improper leadership. So this covenant was made. The children of Israel find out that these guys tricked them. They make it to the city, but they can't attack them because of this covenant. So what do they do? Look at verse 17, all the way down to verse 27. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Beroth, and Kirjath, Jeram. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregations, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. But this we will do to them. We will let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So I did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Joshua chapter 9 is known as the Gibeonite deception. And what the Gibeonites did was wrong, and we recognize that. But we also see they didn't get off scot-free. Although the covenant was honored, the Gibeonites were cursed with slavery, cutting wood and drawing water for the house of God. Frankly, I'd rather be a slave in the house of God than a prosperous man in the world. In fact, that's biblical. The Bible says that in Psalm 84.10. For a day in the courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. So for these Gibeonites, this curse actually turns out to be a blessing for them. And the reason being is because God always looks at the heart. God always looks at the heart. It's fascinating to see what the end result to the Gibeonite community and, and their entire tribe. You see, according to Second Chronicles chapter 3, first couple of verses there, the place that God has chosen to set up his tabernacle was in this Gibeonite city. And according to Ezra chapter 2, verse 43, the Gibeonites ended up becoming, through intermarriage, a group of people known as the Nethanamites who became temple servants. So here's the beauty of this. Uh, they were cursed, but God has a way when he looks on the condition of the heart of turning a curse around and making it a blessing. And here's the point. I've talked to people who have come to me and said, Pastor, I've disobeyed God. 
I've done something wrong, and now I need to get out of this situation. But I've bound, you know, I, I, I've bound myself to this situation with an oath or, or with a vow. Specifically, I'm talking about marriage. Someone comes to my office and they'll say, well, you know, I, I'm in a bad marriage or I married the wrong guy. Now I don't know what to do. Listen, take heart in the fact that God can turn a bummer into a blessing. If you just, you know, simply trust in his will and in his way and you bring everything to him in prayer. Oh, Pastor Tom, I bought a house and I thought it was the right thing to do, but now I've found out that my house isn't the right thing and because it, it's got that adjustable loan payment, now it's just been adjusting higher and higher and higher and higher and I, and I can't keep up. Listen, still trust in the Lord. He can turn a bummer into a blessing. Well, Tom, you don't understand. I've got this car and its transmission is bad. What should I do? What should you do? Keep trusting in the Lord. Pray and keep seeking the Lord. See, in our own understanding... We say this is too impossible for God. There's nothing that can, can change the situation. But God's word says, no, not so fast. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. The Gibeonite said, the Gibeonite said we, we did blow it. We deserve this curse. Rightly so. God says, I see your heart. I'm going to turn this curse into a blessing because you're going to be the very same people that get to wait hand and foot on the city of God. And it's going to be a blessing for you, and you'll enjoy it to be around the people of God, and you'll enjoy being the servants of God. And they end up being in a privileged position. Why? Because God looks at the condition of the heart. So what do we do then? We take every bummer situation, and we cast it before the feet of Jesus. Lord, I got myself in this jam, but I, can rec- I recognize you can turn this jam into jelly. <laughs> You can make it sweet. It can be a good thing, something praiseworthy. You know, I've, I've heard it said many times that when we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, remember that for the Christian, Jesus is that rock. And, and so we know that God does work all things together for good, that he will pave a perfect path for us, that he turns, you know, bummers into blessings. Yeah, Joshua made a bad move and took the Gibeonites at their word and didn't pray about it. Same mistake they made before the battle of Ai. They didn't pray for guidance or direction or discernment for counsel. I think that, you know, that's so important. How can we know what to pray about? How do we know when to pray and when not to pray? Well, the answer is obvious. Pray about everything. (laughs) Exactly. Maintain a constant attitude of prayer. Do as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. See, if we become men and women of prayer, by prayer and everything, we'll never make the mistake like they did in Ai. We'll never fall to the, the tricky of the Gibeonites. We'll never regret uh, uh, a decision that was not prayed about because we prayed about it. We said, Lord, what should I do? And this goes right into how we started the study. Man, this, this world is dark. <laughs> and we want to we stand strong. There's so much deception. All you had to spend 20 minutes and look at videos on the, on the internet, and you go, what is real and what's not? <laughs> so much deception going on. We need to pray as a church, hey, Lord, give us discernment, help us to stand strong, help us to pray before we go this way or that way, pray for the direction you have us to go, and we won't regret it. So with that, let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that We can learn lessons from your word without having to go through them to learn them. But Lord, I I look at what we've read tonight and I know I've gone through this. I've gone through situations where I haven't prayed about things. 
And Lord, they've turned out disastrous. But Lord, you, you take disasters and you turn around and you use them for good. And Lord, I just pray, we pray as a church, as we move forward, Lord, that we would continue to be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, as, as uh, those in leadership in the church, that we would be tuned in to, to what you would have for us as, as a church and how we can serve uh, those that are in the ministries that we oversee. Lord, we pray that even as believers, how we can serve one another as we seek to, to serve you, Lord, in serving one another. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, we repent of our sin. We repent of, of our, our um, uh, Lord, just not doing anything about it, not coming to you in prayer. We pray, Lord, that you'd heal our land. We pray that you would bring about right people in the positions of authority in our government, that we would see a turnaround in our nation, that, Lord, that, that uh, you would curb this, this push of evil. Lord, give us discernment, we pray, Lord. Lord, people say things that sound good, Lord, but until we dig into your word, we go, wait, no, that's contrary to your word. Help us to be men and women of your word to stand strong in these days in which we live, to resist the devil, knowing as your word says he will flee from us, to stand strong against the flesh, against the world, knowing you've given us the victory already. Thank you, Lord, that we have overcome through the cross and what you did for us upon the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stan, we'll do one last song together. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise and to know the saith the Lord.
Well, God bless you guys. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, please come up so we can pray for you. If, if not, then we'll hang around, fellowship. We'll see you back again on, uh, on Sunday. Ladies, don't forget to sign up for the men's, for the men's study. <laughs> no, don't do that. Women's study or the women's retreat coming up soon. So God bless you guys.